Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Diane Pettison, welcome to Success at Last. We're excited to have you today. Thank you, Jared. I'm excited to be on. Wonderful. Well, I always like to start these with who's our guest today. So why don't you kind of give us a, a couple of minutes of your professional, personal background, and that kind of helps provide some context for the rest of our conversation. Great. Well, I was very blessed to have the opportunity to be in the commercial real estate industry full-time for 23-plus years. That was with Trammell Crow Company, CBRE, and Prologis. And at the same time, was blessed to be married to Chris Pattison. And we have four adult children, Opie, Annie, Rose, and Gus. And two of them now are married. And I have two granddaughters, which are just the apple of my eye. Awesome. Well, I guess... What did you learn about in that journey? I will talk about this probably pretty extensively, but there's a lot of commitments there. A husband, children, eventually a C-suite involvement in a rapidly expanding commercial real estate company. How did you get clarity on priorities? Yeah, that's a great question. And I listen to a lot of podcasts even today because I'm always learning. Yeah. But I think it really comes down to really soul searching and really figuring out what's really important to me. And my faith was always my foundation. My family has always been my priority. And even the way I contracted for some of my jobs that was in my contracts about how much I would be willing to travel, et cetera. So there's a lot of things I did to try to put boundaries to be able to stay focused. But it was always a constant learning process and a little bit of a struggle sometimes. I don't want to take your answer for granted, but what I just picked up in, you're still listening and learning and reading and that that commitment to lifelong learning seems to be a consistent theme amongst the high-performing guests that we have a conversation with on a weekly basis. So uh, that's wonderful. Let's back up even more so when we think about real estate. You know, stereotypes exist often for some some reason, often a male-dominated industry. What originally attracted you to commercial real estate and kind of what was your journey within the industry? Yeah, great question. I never thought I would want to be in commercial real estate. That was definitely not in my mind when I went to Oregon State University and then off to Harvard Business School. But it was really two buddies of mine. And I know we're going to talk about mentors. But two of the mentors I had in my life were a gentleman that's a year older than me and a gentleman a year younger, Dan Boyden, and then a year younger, John Sterick, both Oregonians. Yeah. And 
they were my good friends. And I, I had put myself through college and I decided I was a farm girl. I needed to go work for someone besides my dad in the family business one summer. And I was studying fashion merchandise. I came back to school my senior year and said, oh my gosh, I've blown three years of schooling. I don't want to be in fashion merchandising. And Dan and John basically said to me, you need to apply to Harvard Business School. And I just did what they said. So they were my beginning mentors. They ended up being a year ahead of me and a year behind me at Harvard and both went to work for Trammell Crow. So two years out of my MBA, I wasn't where I was feeling totally fulfilled and kept in touch with them all my life. And they're still my dearest friends to this day. And I went to them and said, you know, I'm not really liking this part of the healthcare industry. I'm sort of gifted in this way. This really doesn't take advantage of my gifts. And they both said, you need to come to work for Trammell Crow Company. Just like Harvard, I did exactly what they said. And I went to work for Trammell Crow. That's always a fun, fun story. You mentioned fulfillment. So I'm going to put that in the parking lot. We will circle back on that. I earned an MBA from the University of Oregon while I was playing football. So it was logistically convenient. But it, so much of what we did was study Harvard Business School studies. And so from Eugene, different classrooms and such. But I, I guess when you think about that experience back on the East Coast at a pretty iconic learning institution, what were some of the big rocks, I guess, that you took away from that experience that paid dividends throughout the rest of your career? Yeah, well, as you can probably tell by my first story, I mean, the network there is unbelievable. Yeah. So a lot of the friends I made there are still friends today. They're involved with my not-for-profit with me. They were people that I kept in touch with through my career. And just having that network, and actually one of my section mates is actually the managing partner of my husband's global firm. So the network is a pretty amazing place. That was a, a rock from there. And then just being a farm girl from Oregon, my world opened up because I met people from all over the world, from all different walks of life. And it really opened up my mind to there are so many possibilities out there. So let's circle back to the, the topic of fulfillment. You indicated, you know, a couple of years post Harvard, not really feeling fully satisfied, fully fulfilled. I guess when you look back on what's been an incredibly successful career, I guess from a professional perspective, what were some of the, the roles and experiences, outcomes that you found to be the most fulfilling? And then I guess the seat that you're sitting in today, just in life, kind of the journey of life, what overall has been the most fulfilling? Yeah, great question, Jared. And I love that question because I think it really keys on how did God gift me naturally? And how did that match with what I did day to day? And so I began at Trammell Crow like almost everybody that began there in the late 80s. I was a leasing agent and I learned the ropes from the ground up. What does the client want? How do you build out the space? How do you make sure they're taken care of while they're in the space and doesn't make money for the owner? So I love the fact that even though I wasn't running the business when I first started, I learned a lot about 
the full management that you're able to experience in the commercial real estate field. And I really love that. And maybe part of that came from my upbringing on a family farm. I'm also, if you do strength finders, which have you heard of strength finders? Yeah. 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 So my, one of my highest strength finders is achiever. And, you know, when you're leasing space, you're basically trying to achieve daily. And that really scratched an itch for me. So that was for the first five years. So I kind of thought about my commercial real estate career in five-year chunks. And so my first five years, it was really learning the business from the ground up and having a role that I got rewarded when I achieved. But my second five years, what was really wonderful is the real estate industry was going through tremendous change in the early 90s. And a lot of it was due to the savings, savings and loan failures. And we had to remake ourselves at Trammell Crow Company. And also technology was enabling our clients to do business differently than they had done before, because, you know, this is before you were probably born, but we were dealing on every transaction, every building as a local business. And our clients were becoming national, regional, global. And so I saw the real need to provide systems and processes and account management across geography, which was very different than how it had been done to that point in time. And Trammell Crow remade itself into a service company. And so my regional head became the CEO of Trammell Crow. And he said, I want you to go to headquarters with me and I want you to do what you did in my region for the company nationally, which was really set up a client-centric account management. And that was just a great use of my gifts again, because I'm a connector, I'm a arranger, you know, others, I'm self-assured. And so I had the chance in my next five years to really develop the whole client service platform and ended up becoming the COO of Trammell Crow Company. And then I can go on to my next five years. If yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep okay. going. After that role, then at the same time, Trammell Crow was getting into serving corporations. So not just investors in, in real estate, but users of real estate. So they really wanted to transfer that whole client service platform, not only amongst the investors, but to the users. So now we're up to sort of the early 2000s. So this will get a little into, you know, why did I feel like I needed to start forward, which is the not-for-profit that I founded. And I ended up in this next phase with Trammell Crow of being the only woman on the global executive team for Trammell Crow. And then in 2006, we sold to CBRE, which is a major global commercial real estate company. And you would think because we were purchased that many of the executive team would not have positions, but the board of CBRE saw the leadership of Trammell Crow. And so they asked me to lead the global 
client service platform, which ended up to be a $600 million business, about 4,500 employees. And it was a great learning experience for me because I got to deal with people all over the world. Because Trammel Crow, really only 5% of its revenues were in the U.S. At CVRE, it was 50 U.S., 50 the rest of the world. So I had a chance to put together our client platform. You know, the teams of our two companies put them together, put our platform together, and at the same time, make sure we were very profitable. The thing that drives me is really being able to work across the full business side of running a business. I don't want to just be overseeing HR, overseeing technology. I want to oversee the whole thing and see how it all fits together. I'm curious right now, there's so many different businesses that are having to to be adaptable. Some businesses do it well and, and others maybe struggle at it. And it seems to me that you've tackled challenges and helped kind of lead the adaptation. So you described it as a wonderful learning experience. And obviously it worked out real well being wired as an achiever. You know, the outcome is important to you. I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious as, from a learning perspective, what were some of the things that you didn't know that you didn't know? What was the learning that actually occurred in that, in some of these challenges or obstacles that were assigned to you? Yeah, great question. So one of the things I learned the hard way was it's really critical to have the right people in the right seats. And if you don't have the right people in the right seats, you need to make the changes fast and don't let them linger. And that was a lesson I learned because when you're overseeing 4,500 employees, you need to move quickly to make that happen. So that was a big learning. And it was really interesting. I was listening to Carla Harris, who's one of the highest ranking women on Wall Street. She's actually a friend of mine. And she was talking about one of her learnings early in her career. It was the exact same one. And she said she learned it from Meg Whitman when Meg was the CEO of of eBay. That was probably one. A second one that I think is really important because as an achiever, connector, arranger, self-assured, I didn't understand probably right at the beginning how important it was that the clients and my team knew that I cared for them. I was probably more focused on what we achieved. And so that was another good lesson that I've learned over my career is people understanding that you care makes a lot of difference. Those were probably two of the most important and also just how important mentoring is. And I know I had great mentors in my life. Mentoring is a huge part of what we do at Forward today. Well, let's spend a few minutes talking about the role of mentorship. When did it go from something that was informal to something that was purposeful? I guess talk to me about some of the mentors that you've experienced as a mentee. And then I guess, talk to me about what you've learned being a mentor to others. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you first, I can't start talking about mentoring without talking about my parents. You know, even though I wouldn't have ever called them when I was being raised, my mentors, my dad, he put his confidence in me to 
manage 80 employees on our family farm picking peaches in the summer. And I was 16 years old. Well, obviously, that just taught me a lot about leadership and confidence. My mom was the one that said every day, you can be whatever you want to be. And again, that was that confidence builder. So I'd say first my parents, and then obviously you heard about Dan and John, who really mentored me about going on to get my MBA and mentored me later to go to work for Trammell Crow. And then at Trammell Crow Company, I guess this is a little bit where the self-assuredness comes in. I was a new leasing agent in 1987. And the CEO of the company was named Don Williams. And I knew Don and I were very connected around our values because he has a strong faith. And so I was one of 1,200 employees at the time. And I picked up the phone and called Don and asked him to be my mentor. And he said, yes. And when I tell that story to people, they're like, you called the CEO. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, the worst thing he could have said was no. You know, I don't have time. So Don was a great mentor, which I think really, and you've probably heard these words shared from others, not only was Don a mentor to me, but more importantly, he was a sponsor. And I know that there were times that probably Don was around the table with other executives and they were saying, well, who could lead this account management in the future for the company? And I guarantee you, he was the one that said, I think Diane Patterson could do it. And those sponsors are critical. So when you were thinking about who to ask, you referenced values alignment. That was a consideration. I guess what role did sponsorship play in the decision? In hindsight, there's clarity there. But was that something that from a strategic perspective was considered at the front end? I had no clue. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess before we move on, I'm a father to three two daughters and a boy, I think I'm, I'm compelled to ask as a father, and you referencing your father as father and mother as maybe your first mentors, what advice, I guess, would you have for a, a father in the, in the midst of raising the kids? I've got a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a nine-year-old. So what should I know that I don't? Yeah. Well, I have three things I always say to moms and dads that ask me this question. I always say, be sure that you make sure your daughters and sons play team sports. It doesn't matter how good they are, just make sure they play team sports because they learn how to work in a team environment. And that's so important in the business world or any world. Yeah. Second, and this is something I didn't do, but I think I look back and say, gosh, I wish I should have been on a debate team. Really? learning how to communicate, especially when you're maybe debating different viewpoints and be able to leave and still be really respectful of each other. I think debate is a great place to learn and build confidence in your communication. And then the third thing is do something that's competitive. So if I were talking to your daughters, I would say, do something that's competitive that includes doing it with men or boys, you know, so that they're very comfortable 
no matter what gender the person is that they're working with, that they're just really comfortable. Because I think that's maybe sometimes what holds some women back is they've been kind of always put in the female role or the female whatever, and they haven't built this confidence that they can be a peer with a gentleman that's in the same role as they are. So those are the three things I would, I would suggest. Wonderful. That's phenomenal. Thank you so much. I'm sure others will be taking notes just like I was. So I guess I want to hit on something that, that we've kind of talked around a little bit. Ultimately, you were the chief operating officer for a global real estate development company. And when I think of the psychographics of, of who's attracted to commercial real estate, it's really high stakes. It's an incredibly competitive industry with generally some pretty aggressive personalities, people that are, you know, achievers, but also people wired for competition, you know, people that like to win. And so if cream rises to the top, you ultimately found yourself within the C-suite, but yet only woman within the C-suite. I, I guess, what was that experience like? What wouldn't I know that you had to deal with in that experience? And then I guess, how has it been an inspiration for the current season of life that you're in today? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, again, it goes a little bit back to what my mom always said to me. I just had this confidence. And also, obviously, my faith was a big part of it. There were a lot of times I knew, just like when I asked Don to be my mentor, that the worst thing they could say is no. Yeah. And that was okay. If they said no, I was still going to be okay. And I was still going to be able to do the next thing the next day. But it really spurred in me, Jared, a desire to really help other women grow in their God-given potential with confidence because I knew that I was not the only one that should be in that room. Yeah. It really spurred what I do today full-time because there were lots of times I know people second-guessed or said, I mean, I was challenged once. I remember on a big deal, a guy said, oh, that will take the moon and the stars to align for that deal to ever get done. And inside of me said, just watch, I'll show you. And, and it's that competitive spirit. And actually, the big deal did get done. So I wasn't the kind of person that would say that back. I would just say, I've got my new challenge. I'm going to show you. <laughs> so I think it's just don't let words take you down, let words spur you on to be challenged and to be an inspiration to other people that you don't have to be put in a box by certain words. One of the conversations that I find myself engaging with clients regularly, work with real estate developers, investors, business owners, is the complexity that comes with the post-career. You might sell, sell the business, you know, retire a bit. And it there's this process where they have to rediscover often a, a sense of purpose, a sense of passion, and to some extent, identity. And some do it well, some struggle. I look at what you're up to. You're, you're juggling a lot of different hats, providing leadership uh, across a variety of different boards and foundations, and started your own foundation. So I, I guess, talk to me about when you were considering all the different options post-real estate, 
what attracted you to what you're up to today? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think, you know, as I look back, a lot of it was my experiences, right? So, you know, I experienced, I was not only at Trammell Crow and CBRE, but also Prologis. And all three of those, I was the only woman in the executive team, the global executive team. So, you know, that spurred in me a real desire to help other women see their God-given potential. I also felt really strongly about mentoring. So we didn't go down that path earlier very far, but at Trammell Crow, I saw it as a tool, as a business leader. We actually set up a formal mentoring program at Trammell Crow and CBRE that brought in diverse and rising stars. And we had them be mentored by our executives. And that was such an important thing to do. And it gave that person an executive that believed in them and that helped them over the years that maybe if they didn't have that, that wouldn't have happened. So it really showed me in a real business sense how important mentors were because we really saw a return on investment of having a structured mentor program at both CBRE and Trammell Crow. So I would say that's the other part of it. And then I would say the, the third is I didn't like the fact that a lot of companies didn't allow people to bring their full self to work. They could bring their professional self to work and they maybe could bring their family slash spouse, pictures of the kids and the husband. But a lot of businesses didn't want people to be bringing their faith side to work. And, you know, that was a huge part of me. And I was blessed to be at Trammell Crow where it was acceptable. But I saw a lot of places where it was not. And I wanted to help change the world in that way. So those are three key things that really drove me to what I do today. So that's a, an awesome mission. And so somebody who I think you put it, helping people reach their God-given potential, like how, what does that actually look like? And what does Forward do today? Yeah, well, so our mission is to help women reach their God-given potential with confidence. Our vision is to grow a global community of Christian women in the workplace. And our values are servant leaders who are real passionate, faithful women who want to be in community. So we do it three ways. So now I'm getting to your question. We do it three ways through our digital content, which is blogs and podcasts, community groups, which through COVID were virtual, but now we're a mixture of virtual and actual face-to-face, which I know you knew some of the Portland leaders and that started out as face-to-face. And then our mentor program. And our, our mentor program and our digital has always been virtual. So the only thing we really had to pivot pretty quickly was our community groups through COVID. But that's what we do today. And we just get amazing testimonials from women who have never had a community 
of women that they call, I finally met my tribe. They haven't had that tribe in their life before. And then especially when they have a mentor and we just had our thank you lunch for our donors last, last week. And we had a woman from Dallas by the name of Monica and her mentor, Sophia from Houston. And they shared their story and just the chance that Monica had to really figure out what was her God-given purpose in life through this mentor program with Sophia is what ends up being the outcome. We've actually had a study done of what are the four key outcomes. So I can go into that if you'd like me to, but that's a a real snapshot. I'm actually kind of curious that you probably see people show up in all various places. What's common bad advice that people show up having heard? Whether that's your experiences with Board or your experiences with Trammell Crow, was there consistent advice that you felt like proliferated a bad idea that led people astray? You know, a few things. And I mentioned Carla Harris earlier. She did this podcast with Molly Fletcher recently that was just fantastic. So I'm going to share one thing that Carla has shared that I totally agree with. She felt like she couldn't bring her whole self to work at Morgan Stanley. And not only was she one of their executives, but she was a gospel singer at Carnegie Hall. And when she started sharing with people, well, you know, on the weekends, I actually sing gospel at Carnegie Hall. She said, my business grew tremendously because I wasn't just seen as the same as everybody else in the room. They remembered that I sang gospel at Carnegie Hall. And so I think bringing your whole authentic self is really important. And a lot of people don't feel like they can and they get that bad advice that they shouldn't. One of the things that just came to mind that I'd be curious what your thoughts are. You you talked about the worst thing that could ever happen is they say no. But there's a sense of vulnerability when you open yourself up to rejection. If you bring kind of the most intimate parts of who you are to the workplace, you risk some level of rejection. So I guess authenticity seems to be a consistent message of, of, you know, mentorship seems to be a consistent message. Clarity on identity and strengths has been a consistent message. I guess what, what role does vulnerability play in the success that you've experienced or fulfillment that you've experienced? Yeah. Well, I just think vulnerability or, again, taking risks yeah. is really important. I mean, there's sometimes I took risks that didn't work out. I left this company I was with for 20 plus years, Trammell Crow and CVRE, to go to Prologis. And there were a lot of reasons I felt like I was supposed to go to Prologis because I was going to oversee China, Korea, Japan, Mexico, places I'd never overseen operations. So I thought I'd really learn a lot. I felt like there wasn't a huge downside because I had a contract, et cetera, but it didn't work out. My family was so important to me in Dallas, Texas, and they were headquartered in Denver. And when the whole crash hit in 2008 and the six on the executive team liked to make decisions in a conference room in Denver by committee. 
my little brackets I put in my contract around, I'd be in Denver one night a week, really didn't work when the crash hit and we had lots of debt. And so that was the time that it was the right thing for Diane. And it was a right thing for Prologis to say, you know, this isn't working. And, you know, when I share that story with other people and, you know, when I got on the airplane and people said, because they always do when you sit by them, what do you do? And I thought, hmm, what do I do? I don't have a business card that defines me. It was very humbling. But, you know, I think that vulnerability that I can share that experience today really helps people because we all have those things. And a lot of times we think that, oh, that person's got it all together. Everything's worked perfectly for them. No, everybody's had stuff. And just being willing to share it just helps everybody. I love that. So maybe we can kind of play on that and and wrap on that. I I 100% agree. Whether it was the adversity I I experienced uh, getting sent home from the University of Oregon because I I failed the physical. So going from being a Division I scholarship athlete to not, that's a complex identity shift to the business that I, I attempted to start in 2007, months before the financial crisis began. Didn't work out. But I've come to appreciate that that adversity strengthened a grit muscle that's been mission critical to to other successes. I I guess, what role has adversity played in cultivating the person that you are today? Yeah, I'd say a lot. And I loved your podcast about heirs and how to do that. Because having grown up on a farm, I mean, we were not a wealthy family at all. You would have never, I paid my way through college. There were times we didn't know where money was going to come from if the, if the crops were frozen in the spring. And so, you know, having that experience from a young age, really watching my parents just be resilient through those times and really focus on their faith as their foundation, that just living on the promises that we have through what's promised to us biblically was was so great to see. Yeah, so we were talking about, you know, the resiliency that I got to see as an example with my parents. Yeah. Yeah, and then I remember just stupid things. Like I remember trying out for cheerleader at Oregon State. I didn't get it. And I needed to move on. And then when I got to Harvard Business School, I was like, how did I get in this place? I called my parents. I said, I think they made a mission mistake. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've had struggles. I'm remarried. I had a marriage that failed. I had a son that made some really bad decisions. And fortunately, he is my son that has my two granddaughters now. So he is totally my prodigal that is just an amazing young man. So there's just lots of trials and situations, but, you know, just believing we just keep stepping forward, just step forward. Step forward. Well, I I guess on that note, if somebody was interested in learning more about forward resources and mentorship, where's a good place to go? Our website is www.thenumber4wordwomen.com. Org. And everything's there. 
that they need as a resource. Well, wonderful. Well, Diane, thank you so much for just the conversation today, the honesty, the vulnerability, and just the wisdom that you've accumulated throughout the journey of life. And thanks for sharing kind of what what you're up to today. Well, Jared, it was a pleasure to be on. It's great to see you again. And I love what you're doing. Well, thanks so much.